The Alabama Supreme Court sides with parents whose frozen embryos were killed by a fertility clinic. This ruling sent shockwaves across the pro-abortion world. We will discuss the ethical issues involving in vitro fertilization today with Katie Faust on The Mark Harrington Show. Activist Radio, The Mark Harrington Show is brought to you by Created Equal, and you can donate to our work by going to createdequal.org and click on the donate link on the front side of that, uh, on, the, on the right side of the home page there. I am your radio activist, and you can pick up the program on all the popular podcasting platforms as well. And please share the program. And if you like the program, you see it finds it has merit, then leave a five-star review. So today we're going to interview Katie Faust, and she is the author of Them Before Us. Katie, thanks for being on the program. So happy to join you. Well, Katie, we are you're a big fan here with Created Equal. Several of our uh, interns and staff members really love your work and your book and the continued things that you're saying and doing in regards to children's rights. We had you in on our internship where you did a Zoom call with our group, and we appreciate you taking the time. And I wanted to make certain that we gave time for you to be on the radio program, too. Although you're not specifically zeroed in on the abortion issue like Created Equal is, uh, obviously, the right to life is primary to all these other rights we're going to be talking about here on the program. Uh, our primary concern here at, uh, at Created Equal is the right to life and, and preventing or trying to keep children from being aborted. You know, we want them to be born first so they can experience the other rights. And your book, Them Before Us, really challenged me to think about the rights of the child in a different way. Uh, you know, recently I've been following what goes on at the United Nations when it comes to the so-called UN Con Convention of the Rights of the Child. There are like 30 or so of these rights. One of them stood out for me. It says the right to be alive. They didn't say the right to be born. They didn't say the right to life, the right to be alive. <laughs> What is the difference between what, what you're presenting as far as it goes with the rights of a child and say what the UN Convention of the Rights of the Child are? Yeah, well, the UN, yeah, the UN <laughs> Convention on the Rights of the Child gets some things right. Um, the mm -hmm. fact that they recognize that children have a right to be alive, right? Yeah. <clears throat> that is their yep. primary right. Very, very close on the heels of that primary right is the right for children to be known and loved by the two people responsible for their existence. There's probably five different articles in the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child that talks about the importance of not separating a child from their mother and father, the right to a child to a biological identity in terms mm -hmm. of knowing their genetic mother and father, um, that if for some reason they have to be separated, they need to be reunified with them. And so the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, which has been ratified by every country in the world, except the United States, um, really? actually gets this right. Uh, so interesting. Why, why hasn't the United States done that? Because the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child later on mixes in some things that are not necessarily natural rights, um, that okay. there is a natural right to life and there is a natural right. A child has a natural right to their own mother and father. But then mm. later on, um, there are some um articles in there that are not necessarily natural rights that i would say um folds in commodities 
right, um, mm -hmm. and other aspects into the language of children's rights. And many parental rights advocates worry that those articles would infringe on parental rights. So, uh, so they're for good reasons that America hasn't signed on. Yes. But in my opinion, it just means that the United States needs to take a more firmer and clearer um, stance on what children's rights actually are. Um, mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily to have the medical or educational direction of the state. It is for the parents to direct the education and the medical decisions of their own children. Mm -hmm. So um, we actually do need to have a robust debate on children's rights. The problem is that the other side has absolutely corrupted and co-opted the terms children's rights. Um, right. So what we talk about in our book, what you advocate for at Created Equal is children's natural rights, rights that are self-evident as our founders would say, to a flourishing life. So children obviously, because they are humans, have a natural right to life, but mm -hmm. children have rights on this side of the womb as well. And the primary right other than being alive is the right to be raised by their mother and father whenever possible. The pro-life movement recognizes a child's right to life that gives them the opportunity to be alive. Recognizing children's right to their mother and father sets them up to thrive. Mm -hmm. Katie Faust is my guest today, and she's written the book, Them Before Us, and you can check it out at Amazon and all the other platforms in which you can buy books. Uh, Katie, as we were looking at the book here, you talk about children having rights. You know, we don't think about that a whole lot, do we? Uh, we, we think the parents have rights and the parents are going to parent the children the way that they choose. But you say that children have the fundamental right to be known and loved by two people who made them. That kind of goes against the popular belief that uh, really it's parents that make all those decisions and uh, it's really about them and their own yeah. personal pursuits as, you know, now that we've broken up the traditional family, right? Right. And, you know, there's a lot of momentum and rightfully so behind the parental rights movement. And the mm -hmm. idea is these are my kids. They don't belong right. to the state. They don't belong to the schools. They don't belong to the doctors. These are mm -hmm. my kids. Get right. out of my relationship with my kids. And that's critical because... Mm -hmm especially biological parents <clears throat> are the most protective of invested in and connected to their children. And so they should be making medical and educational decisions for their right. own kids. But there's a flip side of that. Kids have a claim to their own parents. They don't belong to just any adult with the money and means to acquire them. And so that is why people will say, well, why, why should we be concerned about children's rights? As long as we're majoring on parental rights, that's all that matters. Because right. they're going to have their best interests in mind, we would assume, which is not right. necessarily the case. And here's the thing. Like, we understand from a parental rights perspective that if you give birth to a baby and you leave the hospital, you don't want to leave a hospital with just any baby. Right. You have a right <laughs> to the baby that came yeah. from you. Well, guess what? Yep. Babies also have a right to the people who gave birth to them. They actually have a claim and a need and will benefit from going home with the adults who created them, right? And what happens when we don't look at this from a child-centric perspective? Mm -hmm. It means that children belong to anyone that can, uh, that can actually assemble sperm, egg, and womb and cut a check. 
that's what it means. It means that if we don't mm-hmm. correct, correct, I'm sorry, if we don't protect children's rights to their mother and father, children become objects of rights, not subjects of rights, right? It's something that an adult can claim. And that's not the way to think about it. Just like a child's right to life needs to be respected and protected, a child's right to their mother and father needs to be respected and protected. So let's talk about some of the threats to children's rights. You talk about them in the book. The number one, and and you list several, but one of them is, and I think at the top of the list is fatherlessness. Would you expand on that? Yes. So uh, you can look at almost any social issue that we are pouring hundreds of millions of dollars into correcting in our country, whether it's child poverty, teen depression, teen homelessness, students that are dropping out, teen pregnancy, um, incarcerated youth, whatever it Mm -hmm. is that is getting a lot of emphasis in terms of these major social issues that we are trying to protect, you will find that all of the kids that are affected by those social ills have something in common. And that is they are disproportionately fatherless, right? Mm-hmm. 90% of homeless yeah. youth are fatherless. You're four times more likely to be a, somebody, a child living in poverty if you're fatherless, right? All of these demographics are overpopulated with fatherless children. And that is because if you starve children of one of these two adults to whom they have a natural right, it drastically impedes their ability to thrive. And so what I tell my friends on the left who care deeply about social justice is if you really do want to help kids, then you need to support children's rights to their mother and father. Because if you do, you will decimate nearly every social issue that you are seeking to correct. One of the other threats you talk about are reproductive technology. You know, today in our world, biology doesn't matter, right? We're talking about LGBTQ plus rights, uh, supposedly, and Children are more or less just a commodity that can be inserted into that equation. It's not about the mother and father, per se. You don't have to have a male and female as parents. So this really goes against the grain that you write about here, that biology matters. Uh, Why does it? I mean, this seems like we're rolling back, you know, decades now, and we're looking at all these rights that we're giving to uh, different kinds of combinations of families. Why does it matter? Why does biology matter? And do you have data that backs that up? Yeah, we have an entire chapter on the importance of biology in the parent-child relationship, but I will boil it yeah. down to three points. Um, biology matters to children when it comes to a connection with their mother and father for three reasons. Number one, like I mentioned, statistically, now there's exceptions to this, but statistically, A child's own mother and father are the safest adults in their life, the ones that are going to be the most connected to them throughout their life, the ones that invest the most in their child's life. Um, And so that maximizes child thriving. A lot of times people will say to me, well, kids don't need biological parents. They just need to be safe and loved. And I'll say, well, congratulations, you're saying children need biological parents. Because anytime you have a household structure that excludes a child's biological parent, regardless of what other unrelated adults it includes, rates of abuse and neglect increase exponentially. Um, and if it's just about the adults and with whom they share love and connection and their romantic relationship and that any two will do, then children who are in a, co- a relationship with their mother and her cohabiting boyfriend should be doing just great. But I challenge your audience to Google the words mother's boyfriend. 
Just pause this video, pause the podcast right now and Google mother's boyfriend and then come back. Hmm. Are you back? Wow. What'd you see? <laughs> you saw pages and pages of the most horrific stories of child abuse, neglect, and filicide that is child infanticide, child homicide at the hands of unrelated men living with children because any two will not do. Any man that is seeking a child's mother will not be the same, not have the same level of protectiveness and care that a child's own biological father will. So why is it that biology matters? Number one, safety and thriving. Number two, those two adults, a child's own mother and father, give children something that they crave, and that is biological identity. Children mm -hmm. have a hard time answering the question, who am I, unless they know whose I am. And so we know this because we have decades of adoption under our belt, right? Where children, even though they are adopted by loving moms and dads, very often long to know who is my birth mother? Who is my birth mm -hmm. father? This is mm -hmm. why adoption has swung dramatically from closed adoptions about 50 years ago mm -hmm. to now about 95% of adoptions are open adoptions because social workers have discovered that even if they can't be raised by their first family, children benefit from as many connections as possible with their family of origin. And now we see uh, in the tens of thousands of kids who are created through sperm and egg donation, which I'm saying donation because nobody's donating anything. This isn't a nonprofit adoption situation. This is a for-profit big fertility operation. Donor-conceived children are going on year-long searches to find out who their donor or their biological father is because it matters to them. The third reason why biology matters in the parent-child relationship is because it grants children the perfect gender balance in the home 100% of the time. That if you can secure a child's right to their mother and father, kids will get the maternal love that they crave and that maximizes child development and the paternal love that they crave and which maximizes child development. Mothers and fathers offer distinct and complementary benefits to children and men can't offer that men don't mother women don't father and kids need both so mm -hmm. if we guard this fundamental child right we set kids up for a life of flourishing and then the final uh threat that i want to go over here on the program today is reproductive technologies uh, you know there's been a lot said about this of course that uh, what would be the problem with yeah. parents going down that road if they're they're wanting to have a child they can't have a child through the natural means and they find another pathway what would be the issue with that and how that affects children's rights well if this is just simply about what adults want then there's no problem but mm -hmm. this is about if it's about protecting and safeguarding the rights of children then you've got multiple problems here especially if you consider yourself pro-life so anytime you're right. making babies in a laboratory, anytime you are using IVF, in vitro fertilization, making children in glass, these children, this is not a pro-life industry. Um, mm. This is a child commodifying, child designing, child disregarding industry. So anywhere from about seven to 8% of babies that are created in laboratories will be born alive. And that's mm -hmm. all children created through IVF, whether they end up using a surrogate, whether they end up implanting them in the biological mother. Um, this is not a child-friendly technology. The majority of these embryos are going to be disc discarded, deemed non-viable, deemed non-ideal, 
left in a freezer perpetually to die, won't survive the thaw or the transfer to the womb. And then even if they are one of the lucky fumes that makes it to implantation, um, abortion, especially in surrogacy contracts, is essential. Because when you are paying six figures for a baby, which is about what a surrogate born child runs, uh, abortion functions as both quality control and quantity control. And so these technologies, while we think about them as this is just a way to help infertile couples have kids, if you think about this from the perspective of children's right to life, this is a no-go for most of us. Second, this industry routinely violates a child's right to their mother and father. Oftentimes people find themselves in a situation where they need reproductive, want reproductive services because maybe they don't have viable egg or sperm on their own within the couple. And so you purchase them from a catalog, or maybe you are in a single sex relationship or you are single yourself. And so you need to purchase the genetic material of your child's biological mother and father. And so these technologies completely disregard a child's right to their mother and father. This is not a child-friendly technology. So now we're in a post-row world, as you know, and here Created Equal things are changing quickly. I just wanted to ask you the question, what does that mean to the pro-life movement? What does them before us, child's rights, children's rights, and the things that you're promoting here, uh, how does that uh, affect the pro-life movement in a post-row world, if, if at all? Well, it means you need to continue doing what you're doing, right? It means mm-hmm. that the fight yeah. to protect unborn life is going to now be taken to really, really to our conversations with our friends and our state level legislative conversations. So you need to continue to fight hard for the rights of children, Um, especially for the pro-life community. You need to expand your vision to see that Mm -hmm. um, you need to fight against the baby taking industry, which is abortion, but you need to fight against the baby making industry, which is big fertility because Mm -hmm. by the numbers, more kids die in big fertility, more embryonic lives are destroyed in big fertility than they are in abortion every year. There was a great article about this in public discourse last week. And so if you believe that life begins at conception, you need to get very serious about fighting reproductive technologies. We have two chapters about this in our book. We have put it all there so that you can become an expert and understand exactly what a threat this is to kids. And then I would encourage you to think about abortion as the fight for children's rights 1.0, but then you Mm -hmm. need to think about the family and issues of the family as children's rights 2.0. These two things go together. Well, one of our, you know, our critics say that we only care about children up until when they get born and not afterwards. (laughs) Obviously that's not true, but your book gets into the details of how we need to be fighting for children's rights, not just the right to be born, a right to life, but beyond that, my guest has been uh, Katie Faust, and she is the founder and president and director, I'm sorry, of Them Before Us. And you can pick up her book, Them Before Us, at Amazon.com. Katie, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Mark. If you are listening or watching on uh, social media, please subscribe to the podcast. We're on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and all the popular podcasting platforms. And if possible, leave a five-star review. We'll see you next time. God bless you. God bless America. And remember America to bless God.
You've been listening to Mark Harrington, your radio activist. For more information on how to make a difference for the cause of life, liberty, and justice, go to createdequal.org. To follow Mark, go to markharringtonshow.com. Be sure to tune in next time for your marching orders in the culture war.